Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right. Well, I'm Joe Walensky and ready for another episode where I have the great opportunity to talk with another accessibility professional. And today I'm very pleased to be speaking with Mike Pasiello. Hello, Mike. How are you today? Hey, Joe. Great. Good to be with you. Well, I'm speaking from my home office on Vashon Island, which is near Blink's Seattle, Washington headquarters. Uh, where are you talking to us from? I'm just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. I'm in a little town called Brevard. Um, about, uh, well, it's about four hours, four or five hours away from Raleigh-Durham, for those people that know that area, the Triangle area, Technology Triangle area. Uh, literally just moved here about a month ago. All right. Well, I've been in that area. It's a really beautiful area to visit. And uh, and I, I've, I've known of you for, for a long time and of your work. Uh, and I But this is the first time that, that I think we've had the chance to uh, meet face to face. So this is great for me as well. Um, but for people that may not be familiar with uh, you and your work, maybe you could talk about some of the things that uh, you're currently involved in. And then we could go back and, and look at some of the other stuff. Yeah, oh, thank you. Uh, so right now I work with uh, Pearson, who's a UK-based uh, company that uh, focuses uh, primarily on education and publishing. Uh, they're well-known in the industry. I came here literally about three months ago, three or four months ago in July. And uh, my focus right now is uh, building in the accessibility area, building a stronger leadership uh, presence for Pearson and disabilities and technology. And uh, so for you for what what is uh, kind of a day in the life or a week in the life for the things that you're uh, involved with now? Are there uh, any common themes or is just a, a lot of different things all the time? Yeah, well, really, I've, I've been uh, very uh, blessed, if you will, uh, to be, be involved right out of the box with some very cool technologies. Um, most of my, my work is primarily from the um, advocacy and business side of the business. Uh, but right now I'm working on three in three key areas, at least three that I could think of. Uh, one is on the new electronic Braille standards that are actually being um, uh, devised uh, and authored by the DAISY Consortium, uh, the American Printing House of the Blind, and a number of partners, uh, National Braille Press, the National Federation for the Blind here in the United States, who are focused on building this new electronic Braille standard. Um, and I have uh, been working with the, the standards team there on, on, that, on that activity. So that's pretty cool stuff. In fact, I just came out of a meeting with uh, some reps from BANA, uh, the Braille Authority uh, for uh, the National Braille Authority for, for, uh, for the Blind. So I'm, I'm looking uh, forward to getting involved there. Um, electronic Braille is a brand new thing, right? So uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting type technology. Uh, I've also uh, been involved in or with the uh, International Association for Accessibility Professionals, or IAAP, um, and uh, specifically working with them on uh, establishing or in creating um, maturity models. So I, I know that you recently uh, had talked with Sarah Horton, 
And Sarah and I go back a long way. Uh, and my first introduction to maturity models was with Sarah and David Sloan. And so this gives me an opportunity now to work uh, along or in behalf of Pearson in creating maturity models, business maturity models that um, embrace a holistic approach um, to, uh, to disabilities and accessibilities where across the board accommodations are concerned um, and building a culture that is inclusive. Right, so we've got the whole DEI uh, movement that's very popular amongst corporations today. Maturity models will be the strategies to execute on in making DEI, uh, I think, uh, the value add that that companies in, uh, envision. So that's the second area that I'm on. The third area is actually uh, a very cool area, and I kind of fell into this by accident, but it involves immersive interfaces or the metaverse um, and extended reality and looking at how we can develop applications, we being Pearson, can develop applications geared towards students and education and people with disabilities and using immersive environments for that. So those are the three key projects I'm working on right now, very excited about it, and uh, have gotten nothing but, but, but support and, and good stuff from, from the folks at Pearson and, and, and management there. Well, it looks like you certainly uh, have your hands full and plenty of things to be busy about. And uh, I also have, uh, I'm, I think I have a couple of follow-ups about some of those uh, items you mentioned. But but one of the things I like to do with this program is to you know find out how people found their way into into this space, and it's not not necessarily something that many people uh, take on as maybe foundational uh, university education, although that's changing now. Um, but uh, what was it for you where you first uh, became uh, aware of accessibility in your lived life or work life? And, and then, you know, how did that start to evolve into a professional interest? Yeah, thank you. It's uh, unfortunately it's longer, long ago and far away, and <laughs> so longer than I want to talk about. But close to forty years now, um, I was introduced. I was actually working as a technical writer for um, for a computer company that no longer exists uh, today, uh, Digital Equipment Corporation. But at that time, they were the second or third largest uh, computer company in the world behind IBM. And uh, I was working as a technical writer for digital. Uh, a manager happened to have this project where apparently digital had a relationship with the National Braille Press out of Boston, where we would they would request now and then some of our uh, computer documentation. And we would just bring the hard copy publications to their offices, and then they would convert that to Braille. Um, I went down there. I went down there after volunteering to uh, take part in this project, and I met the director then, who was Bill Reader. And Bill said, "Hey, let me give you a tour. Let me show you what you're do what we're doing." So I literally watched what I thought was, and I still think it is today, the painstaking process of building Braille from a print document. And I had already been working in. Um, the electronic documentation field using markup languages, which at that time uh, were invented by Charles Goldfarb when he was at IBM. The first versions of it came out in something he called GenCode. Then it became uh, the standard generalized markup language, which 
as we all know today, is the precursor to HTML, and now we have the web, right? But it was markup languages and publishing that really drew me into trying to look for a solution uh, to make the Braille publishing process easier from a single source file. So I, I took that, went back and said, hey, well, if we could convert electronic documents for various printer types and PostScript, why not try to create it in Braille or large text or voice-ready files? So long story short, started to do some research, reached out, attended a few conferences, aligned myself with uh, some great people like um, George Kirscher, who's now with the DAISY Consortium. And we formed an international working group that created the first um, uh, document type definition for creating files, electronic files that could be converted to Braille, large text and voice ready files and became an American Association of Publishers standard for, for producing Braille. That was back in the, the early to mid eighties when I first got started. Well, I, yeah, that, it's very interesting to uh, hear your story about that. And, and in fact, I, I did some uh, technical writing uh, for uh, digital equipment back in the early mid eighties uh, as well and did some uh, consulting work in the Boston area. But uh, yeah, it was interesting to uh, to hear about that. And also that uh, you, where you got involved was working with this technology aspect uh, early on. It, it, in a lot of the most of the people I talk to uh, tends to to come more from uh, having done web development work or something like that and then accessibility was an issue but um, you know coming in from that technology area uh, and specifically with Braille then then kind of what was the next step after that uh, in your uh, journey into uh, well you probably weren't even thinking about it as accessibility at the time. Oh no, we were. We absolutely were. Um, you know, we we I, I I really quickly graduated from being a technical writer to moving into the usability profession, and so I saw a marriage right there, uh, a very strong marriage between usability and making things accessible to people with disabilities. Right. So we talked about making them access documentation accessible to people with print disabilities. That's really how the way we described it because. We found out very early on, it wasn't just the blind or individuals with visual impairments that could not have easy access, right, to uh, documentation, but it, were in, it, it included individuals, for example, um, who were uh, wheelchair bound, right, quads and, and um, perhaps paralytics, uh, individuals born without limbs or, or without limbs, so they couldn't turn pages or easily read. There was just no... Uh, no easy reading mechanism for them or individuals with LD and dyslexic. So, so the term accessibility, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly when we coined that phrase or when that became popular, but it was certainly around that time. But, uh, you know, again, working in a computer company, a large computer company that had more than one area of expertise, hardware and software, um, I really decided I wanted to move into the software field. And a lot of that was because of the usability studies that I was uh, was was part of. One of the first usability studies that I participated in was is with an icon in in the usability world, Chauncey Wilson. 
and we were doing user studies around the first um, uh, instances of Dragon, uh, Dragon uh, naturally speaking. So voice IO interfaces. So I really thought that was very cool. But it led me to looking at software and how usable and accessible it was to individuals with disabilities. Now we're talking about all disabilities. We're not just talking about the blind and low vision. We're talking about the deaf. We're talking about individuals with cognitive disabilities and uh, mobility disabilities all the way across the board because anyone that interacts <clears throat> with a computer interface and, and has a disability, it, it was going to be challenging. So I moved from technical writing to usability and accessibility, started dabbling with that, leading some efforts at digital. Eventually that led to um, working with MIT as a volunteer when the World Wide Web Consortium had just been formed. And uh, they moved uh, its base, Tim Berners-Lee came over to MIT with a number of, of, of well-known uh, internet uh, folks and web folks that that particular time. And I just started doing some volunteer work there to kind of promote the uh, the notion of how important, how critical it was to make this thing we called the web, which was then primarily text on a page, easy to render until, until uh, the Mosaic browser got developed, right? Shortly followed after that by, by, by the Netscape browser. Uh, uh, from there. So now we've got graphics. We've got, we, we're already working with X Windows, which was a graphical user interface. So that whole thing just created this snowball, an avalanche of opportunity to increase awareness around accessibility for people with disabilities. So I dove into that. Eventually that led to me um, uh, having the privilege of working with folks at MIT. And we created the Web Accessibility Initiative which as you know, is uh, functionally the, the uh, where all the world uh, is today, where accessibility in the web is concerned is centered right there at, at the way. And, and uh, so this is another area where uh, we probably would, we could have possibly crossed paths uh, in accessibility because I was a member of the uh, W3C in the late nineties. And as a member, you get assigned to working groups. And I happened to get assigned to work on that uh, web accessibility initiative, doing some technical writing work, yep, and some of the documentation, and uh, kind of had some guidance from Judy Brewer. But that was my first experience with that as at all, so it was kind of serendipitous, and uh, I found that I enjoyed it a lot and continued on from there. So yeah, it's interesting to uh, hear about that, and and so what. Um, then uh, did the, the work with the W3C uh, lead into other things for you or were you already pursuing other aspects of, of business with accessibility? Yeah, once we got the way launched, that was really my charter. At that particular time, I was actually the director of a foundation, the Yuri Vinsky Insight Foundation. Um, uh, so the way was created and now I'm thinking, okay, we've got web and that's sorted out. We've got some good leadership there and the guidelines, the first version were already pretty much getting close to being uh, published. Uh, I want to go into software period. I want to go into web apps, web software, because I figured that's where the opportunity would be from there. So, um, I created, uh, the TPG, the Passiola group in 2002. And uh, my goal there was to create a world-class 
uh, professional services organization built upon a foundation of some of the best people in the world that I already knew that were already colleagues that I was, you know, that I was working with subcontractually and, and, and certainly uh, within circles and to build that company, which is exactly what we did. We, we launched it in 2002 and um, long story short, brought on, you know, some of the great folks like Steve Faulkner and Leonie Watson and Jez Lemon and Sarah Horton, David Sloan, I mean, there's a Hans Hillen. There's, we just had, I, I always tell people, they, they don't necessarily believe me, but I got really lucky that I was able to create the start of a company that just happened to have my name. And that was accidental too. It wasn't supposed to be called TPG. It was supposed to be called something else. Um, but in the end, it just didn't work out. So we went with the only thing we had was my name. But to bring in all of these great people, Ian Pouncey, right? Um, uh, Carl Groves worked with, with me. Adrian Roselli worked, worked for us. I mean, we just had all these great people. They were all just friends of mine. And said, hey, you want to come and join us? We're going to work and help us. Let's make the world better, right? And let's do it. And 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 we did. We did. We I think we I think to this day, it'll be really hard pressed for me to ever be involved with an organization of people and colleagues and friends and to create something I think was was um you know just just an absolute joy of mine today that I have. So that there sort of was I created TPG. Created that agent, we sold it to um, uh, Vespiro, uh, you know, who now, uh, of course, they've got Freedom Scientific and AI Squared and and Optelec and a few other acquisitions that they made, and and so TPGI is uh, is a is a key core component of that organization now. Well, I, I, I I'm definitely not going to let it go with digging in uh, more to a TPG because that's probably what you know a, a, you know a phrase. Uh, a lot of people in accessibility aware of, even if they hadn't had a chance to connect it with you uh, uh, individually. But uh, I mean, it's great to uh, you know hear about what a you know a good experience that was for you in terms of of your team. Uh, it also, I think, was a time where uh, a lot of uh, other contemporary organizations were starting to form for that same kind of purpose, which to me always becomes a, an inflection point when there's uh, enough going on that then businesses like yours can be formed that can then kind of move things to a more professional level. So I imagine there were a lot of fits and starts to uh, building something like that up, but it, it was probably all, all, also an exciting and innovative time to be uh, doing that. Yeah, I, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we had, like any company, we had our ups and downs. Um, uh, but as a start, and, and as a startup, um, but we we managed ourselves really well. In, in the entire history of that company, we only had one month where we weren't sure we were going to make payroll. And we figured our way out of that. And that was it. So, but, but that was because the folks that, that were around me, um, you know, the Deb Rapses uh, of the world, and she'll probably be mad for she hears me say her name, but, uh, and, and the other managers around me um, were, were very smart. We were very focused on sales and how we made that happen. Um, we just, we managed our growth and, and that kept us 
put us in a good position to make a difference and, and, and accomplish the good that I think that we did as a company. And, and they still are today. Well, I, I imagine that as it evolved, you, you were also identifying that it, there, there's a consultancy portion, but then there's the uh, maybe opportunity and need to uh, come up with tools and processes that can be part of that and that you bring to uh, organizations. Uh, so what was that evolution like, kind of identifying what things were going to be useful uh, to your clients as you moved along? Yeah, well, so we created maturity models and, uh, and and usability testing models where accessibility was integrated in that. That part of the professional services actually came naturally for all of us. We had the best consultants in the world. Everyone on our team knew exactly what they were doing, how to help our clients um, you know, make their, their products, their software, web or otherwise, um, regardless of the platform, usable and accessible. However, you did hit on a point that we, around 2016, 2015, 2016, we knew that we wanted to grow. Uh, we wanted to grow and in, in, in turn what we were doing into some products that in tools. It, it was interesting because when I started TPG, we started out as a professional services organization. But the other companies are, are, are you know, competitors, I kind of call them, um, you know, colleagues of the field, the Hiawatha, High Software back then, um, uh, you know, Level Access, which, which uh, you know, was, um, oh, I forget, I already forgot what their name was before, before they were for Level Access, but Level Access and Tim Springer and his company, uh, Mary Jones was there, uh, Mary Smith was there at that, at that particular time. Uh, DQ, so Pretty was there. So those companies actually started with products, right? They they were part of the age of building uh, automated validation tools, which is pretty interesting because people really were not sure those automated automated tools were as good as their founders wanted them to be. You know, um, and to this day, that's still a challenge what they can actually do in terms of providing, you know, real full wholehearted uh, validation around, you know, a digital asset. Uh, but that having been said, they started with the products. TPG really was a services organization. So we were kind of, you know, eventually all of those organizations adopted a professional services model too, because you just got, it's, it's really hard to work one without the other. So around 2015, 2016, we started thinking, well, maybe it's time that we started developing some tools. You know, we used a lot that were out there. We had already developed our color contrast analyzer, really, which was uh, developed by Jez Lemon. And that eventually became, you know, known as a TPG tool. We had a couple of other things that we were using, but um, uh, that takes money, takes investment. And so that's what led to some discussions with some of our other partners in the field. And long story short, that ended uh, us uh, having discussions with, um, with Vispiro, uh, who at that time was uh, being led by their, by their uh, venture capital, our private investor uh, firm. And we thought, here's an opportunity to take the best, what we thought, okay, the best professional services organization and marry it 
with the company that had the largest selling screen reader in the world, JAWS, right, through Freedom, the largest selling screen magnifier with AI Squares, uh, a ZoomText product, one of the largest, if not the largest, um, CCTV manufacturers and Optelec, pull all of that together. Now you've got not just a services engine that's got brand name recognition, but you've got some of the best technologies in the world and you can build around that and support it and then bridge it from there. And, and so it really seemed like at that time, um, the best of both worlds. And that's why we went there. And from there, then we could grow and build our own validation services, which, which uh, TPG has done. And they built some of the JAWS uh, add-ons uh, that, that have gone there to make uh, testing for, for screen readers and JAWS and the kiosk software that they've got there. So yeah, it was it seemed like a natural fit and that's where we went. Well, uh, you've, you've certainly had this uh, extensive uh, experience, as you mentioned, uh, you know, some 40 years of being involved in this. Uh, for me, it's not as long, but, you know, it's been like 24 years for me. And and if I think back to where I was in 1998, um, I kind of would have thought that we would have been a little further along in terms of broadly based uh, accessibility uh, in digital products and services at the time looking forward. Uh, but then again, as I as I look backward, and I've mentioned this many times, I'm also amazed at what technologies have done to, to be able to facilitate uh, some enormous changes. So I was wondering if you have any thoughts along those lines of maybe things where there's, there's maybe an opportunity missed or one that we haven't embraced enough or things that you might, uh, you know, think that we have to, as a profession, uh, be thinking about moving into the future. Yeah. Uh, well, so first of all, I couldn't agree with you more. I thought things would happen a lot faster than they are, right? Um, I have been privileged to be involved in, a, in a, an awful lot of um, international and national standards bodies, international and national uh, government policy organizations. You know, I had the privilege of working along with my good friend who just passed away earlier this year, uh, Jim Tobias in, in uh, co-chairing the Section 5 Way Committee over here in the United States. And we really, I thought, made great progress there. But here's the fundamental truth. And it, a friend of mine always told me this: If you want to, if you want to um, create a great business and and uh, uh, be an earth mover, so to speak, right? You you got to do. You need one of two things: You either need laws that enforce it, that you can create business around it, or you need to come up with just this out, outstanding invention of some sort that just. Right, so the internet, you know, you know, thank Finch Surf and then the web for Tim Berners-Lee for coming up with those kind of groundbreaking inventions, if you will, that have changed our lives. Right. One of the things that I really am still disappointed in is that in the forty years, I thought by 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 now, organizations, for profit or nonprofit, would have adopted cultures that would create what you know what I often used to call the accessibility mindset and that is they design and develop things that are all out of the box usable and accessible to people with disabilities that we shouldn't have to use sticks and laws to force them to do things anymore laws are always a great way to kind of get people going and you know get things you know the springboard uh, type of effect 
but they're there just to get things started. In the long run, you operate by principles, right? And when you design and develop user-centered design, and you develop and, and you design and develop inclusively, well, those embrace principles. Those just say, what do I need to do to um, enhance what I'm developing so that is usable and accessible to the blind, to the deaf, to those with mobility disabilities, to those with cognitive disabilities, to those with fine motor control disabilities. How do I do that? What do I do? And that gets built into the life cycle, the engineering life cycle. I do tend to talk more in technology terms because that's just my life. But the reality is you can apply that across the board, regardless of what you what you invent or what you develop, right? And I had hoped by now that this would be this would be integral. It would be cultural to every organization, and it's not. You know, we still, you know, in this country here, we live by lawsuits and litigation, right? And that moves the proverbial elephants to get going. Well, that's just not right. We shouldn't have to sue a company, right, to force them to do something that they could and should and have the ability to do on their own. So that's one thing I've, I think um, I, I'm disappointed in. I'm not saying that it's, you know, there are no absolutes. So there are some organizations, there are some companies um, that are setting good examples in leadership at that level. Um, but it's it's definitely not something that is embraced holistically. So at my age, at this point, 40 years of the business, I feel like the one thing that I could still push and do is push that mindset and get, this is why I was talking about earlier, working with the IAP and working on building maturity models because these maturity models are, are something that companies get, that they embrace in other areas of their business, okay? That they use, that they execute and strategize on. But building an accessibility maturity model, well, that takes it to a whole new level, right? If companies would live by those maturity models, if they would operate and work by and adopt them, then I believe within a couple of years, those companies would be thinking, oh, accessibility? Yeah, that's what we, ju we just do it. I don't have to think about it. It's just done because it's a part of our processes all the way across the board, the engineering life cycle. It's that marketing and concept and it's out sales and everybody knows about it. So I'm going to spend the last few years, whatever, whatever part of my life I have, pushing that model, pushing that, and then pushing that into some of the emerging technologies. I still don't understand why after all these years, of working first with operating systems, then when with application layers like the web, right? That we still have to talk to people about, hey, you gotta think about disabilities and accessibility when you develop an immersive environment or you're building your, your, your gaming environment. But we do, we do, we have to, we have to keep, there's so many friends and colleagues out there, you see them and they're, they're spending, you know, oodles of time uh, um, teaching, building awareness, cold conferences and whole events to do that. But sometimes if you feel like you're pushing a rope. No, I appreciate uh, all your thoughtful uh, comments and insights on that. And I, I couldn't agree uh, more. I've experienced a lot of the same uh, in my my career along this line, these lines, and uh, um, and, and then you also you, you started to allude to uh, the future. I I was going to ask a little bit about the IAAP, but you mentioned some things about that. But um, what are the things uh, you know looking forward for you that you're uh, 
Uh, any any things you're excited about getting involved in, or or new activities, or, or or goals for this part of your career? Yeah, well, I I actually am seriously thinking it'll be already 25 years since I wrote my first book, uh, Web Accessibility for People with Disabilities, and I'm actually thinking about uh, writing a second version. So there's one kind of aspiration. I also want to write a novel, but you know that's that's just a side that's a side goal. Um, uh, so that's one thing I'm I'm thinking about doing. Being with Pearson as a publishing company gives me, you know, maybe a, a leg up on doing that. So we'll see. Um, I really am very excited about being part of the three projects that I already to told you about up front. I'm I'm enamored with the electronic Braille standard and what that has the potential to become uh, in the future for for blind users. So being part of that. And looking at how that works, and and then and and you know where that takes us into the device and digital world, really really interesting. Uh, tactile graphics, another big part of that, and 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 uh, turning that into a mature um, area of technology. Which right now today it's still it's you know it it really is still something that needs to be worked with. So there's one area. I'm really excited about the work in um, immersive environments. Environments, right? So whether it's augmentative reality or mixed reality or virtual reality um, and integrating those into the lives of people with disabilities, we've seen some applications, especially around devices um, uh, that have been very useful, um, even so, even in the medical field. But I really want to integrate, I, I really want to find some solutions that will allow us to integrate into the education space. How can we get young people to use these devices, young kids with disabilities, and let them become learning tools, um, as well as the, you know, the, the, uh, the instructors, the professors, the teachers, etc. Um, and so I, I see, I see the, the whole XR community um, being very, very exciting future. I, one, of my, I, I, one of my favorite experiences is I got, I had uh, the opportunity to work with Jaron Lanier, uh, several years ago, when he was first, when he, you know, he ran and started VPL and, you know, everybody and their mother wanted to meet him. He had an employee that had MS and he was really concerned about his ability to be able to use virtual reality. And so I got to work with him, some others at the National Institute of Standards that were working on that. Uh, Sandy Ressler, I'm thinking about Sandy. Uh, so I just think that there's a huge area out there that we could work with. And I want to get accessibility built into that now before it becomes what we're looking back at, you know, operating systems still have any work on them, web still have any work on them. Let's get it out the door and get it usable and accessible without any hitches. Well, I, I, I'm excited about the, the opportunities there as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, keeping up on developments there, but uh, Mike, it, it's been a pleasure uh, to have this opportunity to meet you for the first time like this and to have this uh, engaging chat. And hopefully we can uh, meet at some physical event sometime in the future. That would be great, Joe. Thanks very much. I really appreciate uh, having, you on, having me on your show. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Take care. Hey, we did it. Yeah. And that Perfect. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. 
But I'm always excited about my role as accessibility director at Blink, the producer of this program. And I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint, And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X dot com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.